After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. All right, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Did you grab your Bible? All right, I heard one yes. The rest of y'all, grab your Bible. You need to, like, I love that we put it up here on the screen for you, but I don't want us to get in the bad habit of letting the screen be our Bible. So if you don't have a Bible in your rows, there are, or some of the rows, there are baskets with Bibles. So if you don't have one, we'd love for you to grab that uh, or get it on your app. Uh, we've moved from the sound of rustling pages to the gentle glow of your device on your face is proof that you have your Bible open, but uh, uh, grab your Bible and uh, find Acts 18 with us as we're going to be looking at this amazing moment as Paul plants the church in Corinth. And our goal this morning is to talk a little bit about church planting. As a church, this is one of our passions. We love to plant churches. And uh, planting churches is like your first response is, oh, that's something you do, looking at me. And my challenge this morning is to say, no, this is something we do, and every person has a role and a place to play in this great story of the mission of God. So that's kind of where we're going this morning. Man, I love our city. Uh, I'm a St. Louis guy. 
I grew up here. Uh, I, I've spent my whole life other than uh, uh, being born in Texas, but then having a few years, like I, I was here by the time I was two, and I had a few couple-year hiatus in central Missouri. rest of my life has been in St. Louis, and I, like most St. Louisans, this morning is like one of those sad days, right? Uh, a little bit of mourning and grieving. Felt like it should have ended better than that. But, you know, we had a great season watching, watching our two guys uh, go out of uh, end, end their career, maybe three guys. Uh, but it ended so quickly. So there's a little bit of grieving this morning in our whole city. But I love our city. I love Emo's Pizza. Can I get an amen? Uh, <clears throat> if somebody asked me what's your favorite type of pizza, it's easy. I'm from St. Louis. It's St. Louis style Emo's Pizza. That's an easy answer. People say, well, I like this better. They're just wrong. I'm just telling you, if you, you're a transplant from here and you're going to try to argue there's some other type of pizza, we will tell you about Jesus this morning and hope that you get saved and become righteous. Okay, that's our goal. Uh, I love toasted ravioli. Uh, in fact, Last night, I got to go out to dinner with my, my uh, beautiful wife, uh, my, my daughter, and my son-in-law. We had a great time, and we, we decided we were going to go find a restaurant on the hill. We didn't care where we ended up. We ended up at, at Mama's Restaurant. What we found out while we were there, believe it or not, that this was the original place toasted ravioli was actually invented. Well, uh, invented is maybe the wrong word. It was a mistake. A, a, a fry cook at this restaurant here in St. Louis was making ravioli and accidentally dropped one into a thing of oil that was for uh, frying some other things, pulled it out, and Mickey Garagiola, who is Joe Garagiola's brother. Now, those of you who don't know, Joe Garagiola is a St. Louis from the Hill guy who was involved in the baseball world for years as an announcer, played baseball. He was best friends or buddies with Yogi Barish growing up. And his brother, Mickey Garagiola, was sitting at the bar and ate the first ever toasted ravioli. He took a bite and said, you have something here, start making it. And, and that's how we got toasted. I love toasted ravioli, okay? Uh, I love uh, gooey butter cake, right? Uh, I love the St. Louis stuff. I'm just a St. Louis guy, and I love our city. <clears throat> but I also recognize that when you drive around our city, there's a lot of brokenness, a lot of hurt. If you get into the urban core, uh, there is all kinds of division. There is all kinds of struggle. There are neighborhoods that are tough and that are broken with a lot of poverty, a lot of people hurting. And, and, and sometimes you can hang out in like the urban core of St. Louis. If you get downtown enough, you can get overwhelmed at all that's going on there and feel the, the sense of it just being... Like there is, is there a hope? Is there a solution for our city or for other cities? For me, this really came to a head with the whole events that took place in Ferguson. Because it was our moment here where our city was now front and center in the discussion of some of the, the struggles and issues that go on in cities all over the place. And as, as the events happen here in Ferguson and that whole story, and I don't have to go through this. What hap started happening to my heart is I started going, but what's the hope? What do we do with this? I, I heard people in our own culture, there were, everybody had an opinion. But, but there, like I, there was kind of a, a, a unity of response from people kind of here. I started hearing from other friends, godly men, who, who were more from the culture like Ferguson, and there was a little different response there. You could tell that, that this was intense and a hot-button topic. And I called my friend Sean Boone. Let me tell you about Sean. 
When we started Genesis, we immediately right off the bat said, we want to be a church planting church. We were a baby church. We, like, we, there was like 40 adults hanging out with us. You know, we had one kid's class, a guy with a guitar, um, and, and a really young drummer who beat the snot out of the drums. Those of you who remember that. But we said from the get-go that but we're going to get our hands in church planting. And the first church that we tried to plant was a church that was in the Hazelwood neighborhood and a, a pastor named Sean Boone. I have a picture of Sean I want to put up here on the screen so you can see him. We're going to leave that up there while I talk about my friend Sean. Pastor Sean planted a church in Hazelwood. We started investing some of our own money, taking a percentage of what was given here and putting it into that as we were doing other church planting efforts. With, we joined two networks right away that were about church planting, and we, we helped fund his salary as he started this baby church. We went up there a couple times to work on Good Fridays. Like we, we often use Good Friday as a way to support one of our churches that we want to plant. We went up there and helped them. They had this little small building that was real clo close to McClure High School, and we helped them rent that building. We laid carpet tiles. We helped them do some building, all that kind of stuff. And Sean planted this church, and we were just involved in this. And the church where he planted isn't too far from Ferguson. And so I called my, my buddy Sean and went up there, and I hopped in his truck. Sean well, did, had, had several things. He had this really big truck because he was a dog trainer. He liked it. He actually trained, and still does this, trains attack dogs that he gets them. He actually does like championship. They're, they're Dobermans and, and Rottweilers and these big dogs that like, you know, people who go near him go with these like the full gear and all this padded stuff. And he gives commands that they go, he trains them. And then he actually, sometimes they are given to like police organizations or, or things like that to help with some of the crowd control when that's needed and all that kind of stuff. But he, he's like involved in this sort of thing. He loves his dogs. So he's got this truck with these dog kennels in the back. But I jumped in Sean's truck and I started driving around and he took me all around Ferguson, showed me everything that had happened, where all the locations were, uh, where, where the, the, the event with Michael Brown happened, where the riots took place and all this sort of stuff. And I felt so overwhelmed at the brokenness in my city. And in my prayer, I said, Lord, what's the right response? What do we do about this? And, and I firmly, firmly believe that the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, the hope for every city is the presence of a gospel in a good local church. And the way we do that is we plant churches. Now, we were already doing this. This is where the Spirit of God said to me, double down. This is what, like, you yourself and your church, we, you just, when you think about what your mission is going to be outside of yourself, let's plant churches. And so, as a church, this has become part of our drum beating. Pastor Sean got his church off the ground. Uh, that church did fairly well. He went through a season where ministry got really, really hard. And Ferguson, the, the events of Ferguson were part of it, and he had to take a break. But that church actually merged with another church plant. They're doing well. They're still making disciples who make disciples. <clears throat> and, and literally being there in Ferguson, I began to pray in my life, Lord, raise up somebody to plant a church and let us somehow be a part of this. Let's see you do a work here, but let, let us be a church planting church that sees the hope of every neighborhood, every city, every place, somebody preaching Christ, planting churches and making disciples. This is what 
We need what, what every neighborhood needs. What I'm begging of you this morning is to consider that when you go downtown or you go to some city, you go to Chicago, don't get caught up in all the rhetoric. Begin to see the masses of people who need Jesus and the only hope that is out there is the gospel. And that our response as a people of God is to do all we can to get the gospel to them. And the way we do that is by planting churches. So Sean took a little bit of break. He got healthy again, just emotionally working through some of the challenges he had. He went to seminary. And right now this morning as we're here, my friend Sean Boone is, is, has planted with a brother of his, uh, not, not a real brother, a Christian brother, planted a church that is about 300 yards from where the riots took place in Ferguson. In Genesis Church, you've been a part of that. You may not have known this, but you've been a part of planting a church in that place. But the beauty of this church is the brother he called is a white pastor, and the two of them are pastoring this multicultural, like in this city where the racial divide was so evident We've been part of planting a church through financial support. We actually had a team of guys who went up and did some construction on a new building they had, a place in the building. We helped them build a stage so that he could stand up in front of God's people like this one and preach to them. Invested financial resources in that and some other things we've done with him. And he right now is preaching to a multicultural church in the place where the whole nation knows us for the racial divide right there. That is the beauty of church planting in the gospel. And that's why we're passionate about it. But I don't get that passion just out on my own. I get that passion from Acts. Because what I see in this text is Paul going to the city of Corinth. Look, look at your text again. Look at the story and just look at verse 1. After Paul left Athens, he went to Corinth. Now you read that, and it's like, it just seems like as a matter of fact, Paul went to the next city. But you gotta understand, Corinth. Like, I think most of us would have said after Mike left Athens, he went around Corinth and missed that city because it was such a mess. Like he found someplace else where it might have been easier to do, to do ministry. Or I might have stopped in and like you and I would have gone, man, like Corinth, man. There's no hope for Corinth. There's this is the city. Corinth uh, was a Greek city, and this is, this is all part of this whole story of, of this, the church planting missionary journey of Paul and Acts. So we have our map up here again. We've been showing you this. Uh, Paul starts over here in uh, Antioch. We'll, we'll talk about them in a little bit in a minute. And, and the church in Antioch sends them on this missionary journey, which took them through modern-day Turkey, and they felt like they were supposed to either go to Asia down here or Bithynia up here, but the Holy Spirit stopped them and sent them up here to the north and, and told them that he had this vision of a man in Macedonia, that's up here, saying, come help us. And Paul saw that as a call to go continue his missionary journey through uh, these cities up here that included Thessalonica and Philippi, Berea. But he keeps getting, it, getting uh, in a situation where the Jewish people who are following him who don't believe in Jesus get really frustrated. They start persecuting him. And what he does is he rolls out of those cities, but eventually he ends up in the, the, the hub of culture in Athens. So last week we talked about Paul's witness in Athens, the way he preached the gospel in this city that was known for its philosophers. It was the, the um, uh, thinking, the, the um, 
uh, capital of the whole Greek empire, the intellectual, educational capital of the world at this point in time in Athens. And Paul preaches Christ there. But after preaching and planting a church in Athens, he moves from Athens to the city of Corinth. Now, the city of Corinth is right here. It's hard to see on this map, so I got another map I want to show you because this will set up what's going on. So here's Athens over here, and there's this little strip of land that separates the Aegean Sea from the, uh, let's see, what's the name of the other sea? I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, the Adriatic Sea. Adriatic Sea, Aegean Sea, and this little bitty strip of ground right here. And that piece of ground is called an isthmus. And I can't say that really well. I feel like I have a lisp. That little piece of ground at its narrowest point is only three miles apart. And so what would happen in the ancient world is that you would have, first of all, a, this whole section uh, of, of what is Greece is only connected to the mainland here. So there are trade route roads that run through here everywhere. But sailors on ships would come down and they would come and they would come into the area around Corinth and there was actually, they had built this, it was basically a giant boat ramp, all right? Where they would take boats from one side, put them on these rollers and pull it over using slave labor. They would pull it over to the other side and the boat would then hop into the other sea and it would actually cut the, tr the trip. They could just cut across instead coming down around here. They could cut the trip by a week or two in their travel. But on top of that, these waters down here and down here are some of the most treacherous waters to sail in, in the ancient world. And so it wasn't just that they were cutting their trip off. It was a much safer trip to come through here. So what we end up with in Corinth is it is a massive, massive trade route. It is a sailor's town. And we know what sailor towns are known for, like drinking a lot of milk, watching Barney, hum, you know, like very, very wholesome sort of people, right? It, it, it was the American or, or the Greek version of Bourbon Street in New Orleans. That's what Athens is. It's a decadent city. It's a city filled with all kinds of idolatry and, and uh, 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 just pure evil in places. Um, the trade routes ran through here and the sailors came there. It was a city that was always filled with other people running through town. Um, but it was also a city that, so it had become the economic center, the commerce center of the whole Roman Empire. It was a Roman colony city. This guy, Gallio, we talk about is actually a Roman dude who's very important in ancient Roman history. His brother is a guy named Seneca who actually was a poet that is known. Like if you read Greek culture and philosophy, you will read Seneca. And this is that guy's brother. And, and he is a mover and shaker in Roman politics. And he is now in this major city overseeing it. And so what happens with him matters in the story. But, but on top of this, this city had become just so broken, especially in its sexual ethics. Um, there was this, this part of town that was called the Acro-Corinth. Acro means high. So it's the high city in Corinth. It's a, a little hill or a mountain. It's about 2,000 feet above where Corinth is. And it, it had a plateau. And on top of that plateau, there was a temple to the goddess Aphrodite. Now, now who's the goddess Aphrodite? If anybody knows all this. Goddess of love. And this is not like, let me give you a hug look. This is like Barry White music. Yo, baby. You know, I mean, this is... The, the goddess of that kind of love, right? And, and, and what, like, like sometimes I got to be honest with you about what's actually going on in the Bible. Okay, here we go. It's the best little whorehouse in Greece. 
their worship of their goddess produced a cult prostitution that was unlike anywhere else in the world. People would, would be like, hey, we're going through Corinth. Woo! Partying women. This is what's going to happen, right? And they would get to Corinth, but, but it was just common. It was a common thing for men in Corinth to be married, but to make about a, a once or twice a week trip up to the temple to worship the goddess of the city. It was a very decadent, broken, greed-filled city. It was a sort, it's the sort of place that you and I would look at it and go, yeah, I can't go there. There's no hope for Corinth. But what does Corinth need? It needs a church plant. It needs somebody to go preach the gospel and plant a church in this city. And here's what compels me about this passage and what I want to speak to you about and just kind of wrestle with what's going on in the text is that the, the, the fact that Paul made his way to Corinth and invested himself. And eventually the text tells us that this is the one place, like God doesn't say to, to Paul, stay in Athens, strengthen that church, or stay in Philippi. Or stay. God looks at him and says, I want you, like the worst of all these cities, the most broken, the most uh, wicked, the most difficult culture of all these cities. It is here where the Holy Spirit tells Paul, I don't want you to just plant the church and leave. You're going to stay here and be one of the elders and the lead pastor for a while. And you're going to make sure this church gets really healthy. It is this city that the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write two letters to the church. And, and this morning doesn't allow me to do it, but I would, we've got a whole sermon series on the first letter to Corinth. A lot of you were here for part of that, First uh, Corinthians, where Paul is now helping that church to understand its place in the city. And the church was a hot mess. It had come out of this culture. So, so they, were having, like, they were having trouble with sexual immorality. They were having people showing up with their girlfriends in worship service. And one dude was showing up with a stepmom who he was hooking up with, which like Paul's even like, hey man, Church of Jesus, even the, the, the pagans think that's weird. And they're coming to church together. They're getting drunk off the communion wine when they serve communion. Uh, the, the, the more wealthy people are oppressing the, the, the less wealthy people in the church. They have all kinds of weird uh, spiritual expressions of the spiritual gifts. And Paul has to give correction. Like it's a church that is a hot, it's a hot mess in a city that's a hot mess. And yet Paul loves this church. He planted it. He stays with them. And he sees this church as the hope for the city of Corinth. And, and this church planting movement is central here. And so here's Paul doing this. What I want to get from this is the beauty of, of church planting that we're doing and say, man, we need to be involved in stuff like that. Now, like I said, it's easy for you to sit there and go, okay, I'll sit through this, but that's not something I'm part of. I'm telling you that the punchline of this, I'm going to come back to this quote, but the punchline is that God's mission is for the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. You are part of this story in some way, shape, or form. And I want to encourage that some of you ought to be wrestling with that sense of call of where do I fit in this story and what does it look like for me to be intentionally involved. And we're going to see in the story that there's all kinds of people who are part of this. We're going to talk about uh, uh, being a Great Commission church and fulfilling the Great Commission through the work of church planting. Ed Stetzer said this. I love this quote. And this is one of our challenges. Do not let your church become a cul-de-sac on the Great Commission highway. 
Do not let your church become a cul-de-sac. Listen, this is what happens so often with the church. We become a cul-de-sac on like the Great Commission Highway. What we say is we got to take care of us. We got to make sure we have enough members in our church. We got to take care of our ministry. But, but healthy churches are reproducing churches. And we see that, that we're not going to get stuck in this cycle of me, 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 us, 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 that we are part of a greater mission and that as a church and as individuals, we want to be part of God's move. And the way God reaches communities is through church planting. So I'm going to, from this text and just from our story, answer three questions. First of all, what is church planting? Second, why should we plant churches? And third, who plants churches? Those are three questions that we're going to answer here in the next few minutes. And first of all, what is church planting? Now, Ed Stetzer is a missiologist. He writes all kinds of stuff. He, he has written, written the best overall textbook on church planting. Uh, it's actually been republished now three times. And in his book, he, he defines church planting this way. Church planting involves an individual mother church or group of people going out to start a church for the purpose of engaging a community through, the, through gospel proclamation and demonstration. Church planting involves an individual, so a church planter, somebody who goes, a mother church, ascending church, or a team of people going out to start a church for the purpose of engaging a community through gospel proclamation and demonstration. What is church planting? Well, I think church planting always involves three key things. It, it, it's what we were hoping and praying would happen here in Eureka because we were in 2006 a church plant. Come back to that in a few minutes, but it, it involves every church we're seeking to plant. There are three things, and we see these three things in the text. What is church planting? First of all, church planting is about the gospel. It is gospel proclamation, it is gospel demonstration, it is making much of Jesus. The gospel is simply this. It is the good news that Jesus Christ has come into the world and offered himself as a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice. We've been singing about this for your sin and for mine, and that if we will turn, if you will turn from your self-salvation experiment, if you will turn from your sin, if you will look to Christ and trust the true Christ, and give your whole life to, to offer yourself away to him that he will save you, he will redeem you, he will turn your life upside down, he will forgive you, he will make you his child, he will offer you heaven. The gospel is the good news for all people. That's what, you know, when Kirk Stein said we have one message, this is it. We want to make Christ known. We're not here on any given week to give advice. We are here to announce good news. And that good news is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at this in verses 4 through 6, okay? Check it out. What's Paul do? Verses 4 through 6. And this tells us that he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, verse 5. When, Timothy arrived, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garment and said to them, your blood be on your own hands. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to Gentiles. And he went there to a house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. So what's Paul doing? He's doing here what he has done. If you've been with us in every story, sometimes you read Acts, you're like, I just read this. 
It's because Paul's missionary method was the same thing. He goes into a city and he finds the religious center of the city. Very specifically, the Jewish religious center. He finds the synagogue and he opens the Bible there and he tries to reason from the scriptures, the Old Testament, that Jesus is the Christ. That, that the story of the Old Testament was pointing to a point in, in the future where God would send one person into the world to be the salvation for all people. And he is trying to convince these people who are looking for the Messiah that Jesus is their Messiah and that they should run to him. He preaches there, and as he preaches the gospel, the good news of Jesus to religious people who know the Bible, as he preaches the gospel there, people believe. But he also gets himself sideways with the Jews who dig in their heels and hate his message of grace. And why do, why do the Jews hate his message of grace? They hate his message of grace for the same reason everybody hates the message of grace. We like the idea of big, warm, fluffy God who will give us a hug. We don't like the idea that my sin cost Jesus his life and that I must turn from any attempt to save myself. I, like, everything in me wants credit for something, right? I'm gonna be like, you know, when I get to heaven and, 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 and God asks, what do you, like, why are you here? Why should I let you in? I wanna be able to look at God and go, well, you know, you did most of the work, but I was a good pastor, and I worked really hard at that. Or, or, or I, I was a really good church member. I, I kept the rules. Like, I want something in my eternal story to point at me. My pride is there all the time. And the gospel looks at me and says, you have nothing to offer but your sin. And Christ did everything for you. There's nothing in you. There's no rule-keeping, law-keeping, good works. There's nothing that will make you acceptable before God. I want to own something. And the idea that I got nothing to offer and it brings me to absolute humility, the gospel is something that will cause people in our world, no matter where you go, to bow their neck and go, I don't want to believe in that. Because I, I feel like I matter in the story. And so Paul preaches to these Jewish people, and some of them believe. Some are like, oh, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. I'm turning. And they, they run to Jesus. We meet one of these guys. We'll talk about him in a minute. But there's other people who then fight and, and get after him. In this story, what happens is that they, they end up, um, first of all, kind of throwing him out. And Paul shakes, you know, metaphorically shakes his clothes out and then pronounces an Old Testament judgment from Ezekiel, saying, listen, like a watchman on the wall, I have given you the warning. You now know. You've rejected it. Your blood's on your hands. And he goes and he preaches to the Gentiles. He goes to the marketplace, and he preaches Christ like we saw last week to people. But he doesn't always start with the Bible. He starts by helping retell their cultural story. But he points them to Jesus as their only hope. And so does gospel proclamation. Church planting begins with the gospel. It doesn't start, church planting does not start with building a building. It does not start with, with starting a program. Church planting begins with the gospel, somebody intentionally going to a neighborhood, going to a city, going to a place, a team of people doing this together, an individual church planter doing that, going to a city or a place, and finding a way to proclaim Christ as the hope for all people. Gospel proclamation. While they do that, demonstration of the gospel by loving the na their neighbor, by caring for the poor, by entering into to, to issues of justice, by these sorts of things. This is what church planning starts with. It starts with the gospel. 
then the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, reaches the lives of some people. And what happens is some people hear the beautiful gospel, and the Holy Spirit does a work of, of a miracle of opening their eyes, of making blind eyes see, dead ears, uh, deaf ears hear, a dead heart alive, a spiritual heart that starts beating, and he gives them a new heart, and they hear, as they hear the gospel, they respond, and they believe in Jesus. And what happens when they believe in Jesus is they come and they become part of a community. So we have gospel that forms a community. And the beauty of this community is that the community in the New Testament, we see that community is made up of people who are both Jewish and Gentile. Now you need to understand, in a city like Corinth, the Jews and Gentiles, they didn't like each other. They didn't hang out. They didn't go to meals together. They didn't go have a dinner at a restaurant together. In fact, the only time you would see a Jew and a Gentile together in that culture is if both of them were making money off of the deal. They would do business dealings, but they were not doing social calls. And now in the city of Corinth, there are Jews and Gentiles. Look at this. There's a community that's formed. Verse uh, Verse 7, he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. This is telling us this guy is a Gentile, but this Gentile had kind of turned from the Roman pantheon and began to look at the idea of the monotheism of Judaism. He's a worshiper of God. He's not a Jew, though. He hasn't been circumcised. He hasn't embraced all the Jewish laws, but he's a worshiper. And he just happened. I love how the Holy Spirit works things out here. He just happened to have a house that was right next door to the synagogue. So Paul gets thrown out of the synagogue and he plants a church next door. They're gathering. This is what the story's telling. Where does this early church gathering? In this guy's house. So we have Titus Justice. And then we go on and it says, here, so there's this guy. Verse 8. And then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. His whole name was Crispus Cremus. He, he was the donut-making Jewish guy in the town. It's not true. That's a joke. Crispus. The ruler of the synagogue believed in the Lord together with his entire household. Now, so, so there's this guy, T Titus Justice, who's a God-fearer, but he's not a Jew. And God, by his grace, saves the pastor, the lead, this is what it is. Just use this idea. The lead pastor of the synagogue. So, so here's the synagogue, and Paul's been preaching, and he's been sitting down here, and Paul's got a few chances. He's this Pharisee who gets a few chances to preach. And as he preaches... Crispus, the, the leading Jew in the city who is like the pastor, the lead pastor in the synagogue, goes, he's right. Jesus is our Messiah, and he believes. And he, too, is thrown out. He loses his job. It costs him everything to follow Jesus. But now he is part of this new community. And look at this, verse 8. Many of the Corinthians. Now, notice it doesn't say many of the other Jews. Many of the Corinthians, these are the people who are going up to the temple Aphrodite, who are trusting in Jesus, uh, who were trusting in the, the, the city and involved in the culture of being Corinthian. At this point in time in history, to be called Corinthian is a way to, like if you were a Corinthian woman, it was a way of calling you a harlot. And if you were just a Corinthian, I mean, it was a, like being called a Corinthian is a way of saying, you know what, you're one of those types of people. And Paul says many of the Corinthians believed. And what do we have now? We have a whole bunch of believers. They are now a community of faith who come to this house next door to the synagogue, and they are doing faith, life, ministry. God, the gospel, proclaimed 
The power of the Spirit has formed a new community. This is what the church is. The church is not a building. The, the home of this guy is not the church. The church is the people. It is the community of people that, is, that are being formed by the proclamation of the gospel. They are a gospel-shaped, gospel-formed people. And now God is going to leave them in the city of Corinth to be a representation of the one true and living God of the person of Jesus in their city. They now have a mission. And in this case, the Holy Spirit speaks to Paul and says, after he kind of gets thrown out, the Holy Spirit says, don't leave. Keep preaching. Keep teaching. Keep making disciples in this city. Keep pouring into this church. Keep preaching Christ in the community. And the Holy Spirit promises them, you're not going to get in trouble here. You may have people who don't like you, but they're not going to be able to lay a hand on you. And then this beautiful phrase. For I have many in this city who are my people. The promise that there will be fruitfulness in church planting. Listen, the reason I plant churches and we want to be involved in planting churches is not because we believe that great dudes can turn the ears and eyes of people. We believe that God will save people where the gospel is made known and churches are planted and that God will save people through church planting. In a community that is broken, that needs Jesus. If we put a person in a church and a, a, a group of people or an individual who proclaims Christ and they plant the church and now we have a community of faith, that community will start loving its neighborhood, will start caring for the city and more and more people will come to faith in Jesus because I don't care where you go, there are people around us. There are people in our Walmart who don't know Jesus yet and God is saying those people, I have a purpose and a plan for them. Make Christ known to them. Mission. So, so here's, here it is. What, is. what is church planting? Gospel, community, mission. Repeat. Gospel, community, mission. Let's preach the gospel, see a community formed, get that community on mission. We now have a church that is not only a church for that city, it is a church that is ready to plant more churches. That's what church planting is. And I want to see that happen everywhere. By the way, we have a form of that in our own church because there is a sense in which every time we start a new community group in a new neighborhood, we on a small micro level are doing church planting. We are putting a, a people in a specific neighborhood in our city that we hope will love that neighborhood, make the gospel known, love the city with gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration. We will have a community that is meeting in a home that loves that neighborhood that will be on mission. That's, even in micro, we're doing that here. But, but I love seeing that all over St. Louis. And so uh, this is why, or uh, what church planting is. But second, why do this? Why plant churches? And I wanna give you three reasons real quick why we need to plant churches. And reason number one is that planting churches is absolutely the key to obedience to the Great Commission. Jesus' parting words. He looked at his disciples. He gathered the 12 men that he had spent, poured three years of his life, and he poured his life into these, these 12 men. And his parting words were, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded, and I will be with you always. His commission was that they go make disciples, okay? So what does that mean? What does that look like? And I'm here to tell you that in a very real way, the book of Acts is the answer 
to what the disciples understood the mission of the Great Commission was supposed to be. So what we have over, we have the first church in Jerusalem. We have this beautiful passage in chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Time this morning doesn't allow me to re-preach that, but we have this the gospel preached on Pentecost. We have this new community and they're living faith and life together, loving the city of Jerusalem. And then they plant a church who plants a church. The church gets to the city of Antioch and Antioch has this explosion and they become a missional church planting church. Acts is like, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, go make disciples of all nations. They are going to be obedient. How do we know what it was that they did? Acts is the answer. And what did they do? They proclaimed the gospel and planted churches. This is how they fulfilled the Great Commission. It is still the way we fulfill the Great Commission. It is why we as a church need to love our city and be a mission outpost here. But we must be involved in doing all we can to see the gospel planted in new neighborhoods all the time. All right? And so it's, it's fulfilling the Great Commission. It's our way to be obedient to that. Second, planting churches is the most effective way to reach the world. The studies and statistics are not even like ambivalent on this. Church planting is easily the single most effective thing we can do to reach people for Christ. For a long time, our culture went the way of mass evangelism, Billy Graham conferences. And, and those were effective, those were helpful. They're not around anymore, and there's a whole reason for that. We can have a, a different conversation that maybe we should do more of those things, and I, you wouldn't necessarily get an argument from me. But really what's replaced this in a lot of thinking, a lot of missional thinking, is that the more effective thing is to plant churches in neighborhoods rather than do a big event. Because what would often happen to these people is they would come to an event and they would hear about Jesus. They would walk an aisle and say a prayer, but they would go back to where they lived and they would have nobody, there was no community there. They didn't know where to plug this in and what to do with this. And so they, they would pray a prayer to Billy Graham crusade, go home, and without being connected to a local church, they would have this moment where they believed, but there was never anything past that where they were discipled. But local churches planted, reached people for Jesus. They baptized people at a much, new churches baptized people at a much higher rate. But that local church becomes the, the mission outpost where they pour in the lives of people who are new to the faith and make disciples. It, it, it is the most effective way to reach the world. And third, ch- planting churches invigorates the church in its own purposes. In other words, there is something contagious when we go hang out with our friend Michael Bird in there, if you know him, if you've been with us, or we go down to Bayless and we hang out down there at Bayless Church and see this church is down in South City that's seeking to reach refugees in the South City, or if we hang out with these guys that we've been a part of. When, when you go, some of, of you have been to Ecuador to a church that we helped plant there and have been part of the ministry down there with Dave and Brenda Meyer. There's something that happens to our whole church body when we see the beauty of church planting together. We don't become a cul-de-sac in the Great Commission Highway, that we know that we are part of something way bigger than us. It invigorates, maybe not you, it lights my fire. Just telling you, I am sold out for this because I do believe that planting churches is the way we reach these broken communities. And so, so uh, it's, it's the way, it, like, notice what I said, it's, it's, it's the way we honor Christ, reach the world, and stay on mission as a people. That, that's what I was trying to say there, that this is why we plant churches. So then last question, who plants churches? And it's really interesting, this text points out a lot, it's not just Paul. And this is where I want you to prick your ears up and pay attention. 
Who plants churches? The Lausanne Covenant, which was a, a covenant about, it was groups of churches coming together to go, how do we fulfill the Great Commission? What is the missionary task? And they said in this covenant, reaching the world involves the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. Notice they didn't say reaching the world involves pastors, elders, missionaries. They said the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. They're right. And we see this in the text. In this text, this church plant that happens in Corinth and then gets reproduced all around the world involves a bunch of different people. And you are in at least one or two of the layers here, okay? So pay attention. We're going to look at these people that, that, that are either inferred or are actually present in the church plant. First of all, there is the church in Antioch. And you're like, I didn't see them in the text. You had to be with us several months ago. This is this church that I pointed on the screen. We're not going to go back to it, but they were way over on this side of the world. Paul ends up way over on this side. But you know what they did? They raised up leaders. They challenged them to go. They sent them with resources. They became a sending church for Paul and his team to go plant churches around the world. And, and, and sometimes, like, some of the churches like, that, that are, are so influential in the world are these, these churches that, that the Lord is blessed and they're huge, and what they're doing is they have this missionary effort. They're not trying to keep the best people home. They're doing all they can to send people to the nations. Churches like Austin Stone Church in Austin, Texas, the Summit Church in North Carolina. I, I, like, we're not this huge church, but I want us, like, Here's my challenge to every one of you who's under 30 years ago of, of age. Maybe what God has put you in this place for this time is to hear some of these messages that go, you know, the best way for me to spend my life is to get a career and then go join a church planting movement somewhere else. Our tribe has this whole idea in college where you can connect in college. If you go away to school, you connect in college and they will help you find a church plant in the place that you were moving and you can invest your college years into helping a church plant. There are all kinds of strategies and ways. And so uh, Antioch becomes a sending church. Of course we have Paul, the church planter. And we need good church planters, but not everybody in this room is gonna be a church planter. But, but we do need to pray that God will raise from our congregation people who may be sent out and go preach Christ. There is uh, Priscilla and Aquila. I love this. The text begins by saying, when Paul got to the town, he found Priscilla and Aquila. Who are they? They're this couple who has this trade. And it just so happens to be the same trade Paul, at one point in his life, used to pay his bills. And it, 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 apparently Paul like moved in with them for a while, waiting for, for his two buddies who were still in northern Macedonia to come to him and he starts making tents with them. He just starts working alongside of them. But they probably were fairly wealthy. They had a good business going on. So, so what are they doing? They're, they are part of, they, they just become part of this church planting team. They're not the pastors. They're not the leaders. But what they do is they use the skill that God has given them to fund and help resource their ability to be in the town. And they just become part of the disciple making in the city. I'm so thankful for, for a lot of you who have this, you know, your careers and, and what God has called you to in the secular world, but, but you also understand that what God has done there, he is doing to, to, to help you be the, the disciple of Jesus that he has called you to be and that you serve in that space well, living for the gospel, but you were also faithful to your local church. And sometimes the most important people in the journey are the people who will take their trade and move. There's a church that is here in St. Louis that is a good friend of mine. 
And they're planting a church in, the, in one of the South St. Louis neighborhoods here in St. Louis. They moved here from Louisville, and there were 12 families who just left everything in Louisville and moved to South St. Louis to plant a toasted ravioli church. I had a conversation. He doesn't like Emo's pizza. I'm still praying over him. But see, those are tent makers who just said, I feel like God's called me to do this. I'm going with you. We're going to plant a church together. And, and their ministry is beautiful. There are the churches of Macedonia. Look at verse 5. Real quick, look at verse 5. It says here in verse 5 that when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. Now, there's actually a little shift here from tent making. Like the, the language shift is he had, to, he had to work to make his money until these two guys showed up from Macedonia. So what changed? And here's what it is. And we actually see this in letters that Paul wrote back to these churches. They were churches that Paul had planted. Now they are church planting church plants. They are sending money and even people to go join the mission to plant this church in Corinth. And they show up with resources that came from the church in Philippi. They show up with resources that came from the church in um, uh, Thessalonica, even in Berea, that they came with sacrificial giving from these churches because they realized the mission was bigger than just their own church that Paul had planted. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 8 and 9, Paul is writing to this Corinthian church. He says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia, that's a reference to this moment, Supplied my needs, so I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Now, what he's looking at this Corinthian church is saying is, when I was planting the church with you, I didn't accept a salary. That's not always normal. But he says, I was able to invest myself in this, this ministry with you because when he says I robbed, he's not like I went in and at gunpoint told the people that they had to give and, all right, we're passing the offering. He's saying, listen, it was their giving that made my ministry with you a possibility. Church planting support from other churches. This is how we plant churches. That is important. The whole church, the whole gospel to the whole world. Timothy and Silas are in the story. They are the planting team. And you have the young guy who Paul is going to pour into his life so he can plant more churches. Paul's eventually going to leave Timothy uh, behind when he goes and plants a church in Ephesus. But he has to leave and Timothy's going to stay as the lead pastor of a church plant in another town. They're with him. We end up with Titius Justice who just says, hey, use my home. Use my home. Anything I have for the cause of the kingdom, it's yours. I want to be a part of this. We have uh, 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 Crispus, who was baptized and made donuts every week. Boo. All right, I'll keep moving. And then look at verse 17. There's one other guy that's really important. Verse 17. He says, and they all see Sosthenes. Now, what had happened up to this point? You had the, the Jewish leaders who had before grabbed Paul and then like a mob tried to get him arrested in trouble with the Roman governor, this guy Gallo. And so they're, they're, they're speaking here and they start bringing this accusation. It tells us that Paul was about to speak when this guy, this Roman official, this Roman governor stood up and went, man, this isn't my problem. 
I don't care. You, you guys, Jews, you're all in this whole thing. I don't care who's Jewish and who's Christian. You're all the same kind of thing to me. And this is a dispute between you. I am not getting the Roman government involved in this. He actually issues an official decree. Now, on one level, here's what this decree means. He is really important. This decree is a legal precedent in Roman court decisions that will last for another 10 years for Paul. When he ends up in Rome under arrest, this is a court precedent that they can put in front of Nero, the emperor, and say, this sort of thing's already been ruled on. So it's a big deal in this story. But what happens is, he goes, not my problem, I'm not ruling. As far as I'm concerned, you guys are all part of the same group and I, the, the Roman government's not getting involved in this mess. And what happens is, the crowd who is now made up of both Greeks and Jews turns on the, past, the new pastor of the synagogue, the, new, the guy who took Christmas's place, right? Turns on him and they beat him up. And you're like, well, what does this guy have to do with church planting in, in uh, Corinth and this whole church planting movement? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. First of all, church planting is hard you are going to face persecution. You're going to end up with people who don't see the world your way and who, who push against the gospel in your city. And it is part of the beautiful work that God does to help the church be pure and beautiful. Persecution is not something we should, we shouldn't go looking for persecution. We also shouldn't run away when people disagree with us. We should not expect everybody to see the world the way we do when we're preaching Christ holy. Jesus told us that. But you know, sometimes... Just sometimes, God saves the last person you would think he would ever save. Like, like the Apostle Paul. Sometimes God saves somebody and you never saw it coming and that's the person that God not only saves, but he raises up for the cause of the gospel just to show the world how beautiful the gospel is when he saves these people. And so, and, and, and there's this really interesting thing. Paul leaves after a year and a half of preaching and teaching and discipling. He leaves and he heads to the city of Ephesus. We're going to get there in our story. It's going to be part, like literally next week we're going to talk about this. When he leaves Corinth and he goes on, he's going to get to Ephesus. There's going to be this team of people. He's going to leave this healthy church behind to love that city, to be gospel, this gospel community, to proclaim the gospel and do mission to the city. But he's going to go, and when he gets to Ephesus, he writes a letter back because he's, he already hears some news about some of the craziness going on in the church. He has to correct some things. And he opens that letter with this. Check it out. Paul! Called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus at our brother Sosthenes. The guy who brought the court case, who was the, this, probably the spokesperson, looking at Gallo going, get this guy, he's, he's breaking the law, is now a church planter with Paul. Look at that. <coughs> Sorry, allergies. It's coming again. This is the way God works, okay? And so this is what I need to close with. I just need to tell you, the whole gospel, the whole church, whole gospel, whole world. Your response to this whole sermon has probably been, that's all well and good, you do it, and we are passionate about church planting. If you come here, but we're passionate about it not because it's just me. I'm super involved. 
I have been involved in training and teaching and assessing and doing all kinds of things in church planting. And if you don't know this, I actually teach church planting at Missouri Baptist University to young pastoral and ministry students. I love it. We as a church, we're 16 years old, and I did a count, and I may have even missed some. We have been part of planting at least 14 different churches in our 16 years. That's, that's real, right? We have seen churches planted in, we told you, Ferguson, in Jennings, in North St. Louis. We've seen churches planted in University City. We've seen churches planted in South St. Louis, in South County, in Haiti, in Ecuador. We've been part, we've been sending churches sometimes. We've been partnering churches, but we've been involved in church planting our whole journey. Some of you in here need to hear this message and consider the possibility that what God's call in your life really is, is to spend a few more months here, get discipled, and maybe you need to go somewhere and join the church planting team. Some of you young people need to understand that God's greatest call in your life is to raise you up either as a church planting pastor or missionary, or maybe God's call in your life is to go be Aquila and Priscilla. Get this really good occupation, this good job, and then go somewhere crazy and do it there so that you can be part of church planting team in a new city, in a new place, or even in a new culture and country. But for all of us, we get to be part of this beautiful gospel community mission witness of the beauty of Christ. And so whoever you are this morning, that's our challenge. What is God's place in this journey for you? As the band comes up, we're going to sing to Jesus. It is the gospel that does this. It is not Mike. It is not church planters. We just get to, get to be part of what God is doing in the world. And we're going to sing to Jesus, who is our only hope. One of the songs we're going to sing is going to talk about the fact that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That's the hope for every community. Let's not forget that. If you're here today and you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we would love to have a conversation about what the gospel can do. Maybe you're Sosthenes. You're just, you, you're hardened and you disagree and you just, and maybe today's the day where the Holy Spirit opens your heart and you believe. And we'll have people at the end of service who are down here ready to pray with you. But as, as we close, for the rest of us, I want to challenge you to have a paradigm change. When you think about the urban core and the broken places of our world, stop throwing up your hands and say, this is hopeless. Start praying that God would send a church plant to that neighborhood and feel God's love for the Corinths of our own city here in St. Louis. Lord, we love you and praise you. Thank you for a chance to stand up here and preach this cool passage to, the, to, to this church. Help it, just pray that the gospel would shape us and form us well, and that we would make much of you in all that we do. And Lord, we just pray over all of our church plants, the ones that we've been a part of in the past, and pray that you would give us new opportunities in the future to be part of, of gospel presence in new neighborhoods and cities. In your name I pray. Amen.